and all those other good questions. And it, it's like, but if, if life's happenings wouldn't have happened, we wouldn't be here the way we are right now. So we can thank the Lord for that. It made me go back to the first couple months we were coming here to Weavertown. It's, uh, it was some good memories with Roman and Fanny bringing us to church here, and Elmer and Anna, they brought us sometimes, and sometimes Elam and Barbie did. And then we wanted to move on with life, and um, so the next question is, why did we adopt children? But first of all, let's look at the Bible, or think of the Bible. And I have a question for you. So who in the Bible was adopted? Just right off the top of your head. Moses. Esther. Esther. Samuel. Who? The Gentiles. Good. And Jesus himself. Okay? So when I think of of adoption, like this earthly adoption thing, is I think of pain. Because when, when Moses was adopted, he had to be taken from his mom and dad and all those little children that were killed. Pain. And with Esther, she had to go away from her mother and father after they passed away. For Jesus, he was adopted by his own father, his earthly father. And think of the pain that he had to leave behind in heaven with all the good things he had and come down to earth. Pain. Let's switch a little gears and think about whose design it was for adoption. And I think it was, according to the Bible, it is God's design. It's not a good idea, but it's God's design. And when you think of adoption, it's family. We're thinking about earth now. It's family. Adoption equals family, right? But if you go back in the beginning, was there anything from the beginning till now that was more under attack than faith, marriage, and family? You know, think what Satan attacked first. It was faith. That he came to Eve and said, did God say so? And cast doubt. Then he split their marriage, or whatever you want to call it. And then he, then Cain killed Abel outside of the garden. Why did we adopt? Rebecca and I married in November 13th, 2001. The first eight years of our marriage, we talked about having children. It was just Rebecca and me and our horse. That's it. Right. <laughs> Soon we, um, and we were involved in the church. We babysitted for our neighbors, and life was good, but it wasn't complete. 
So after a bit, we got a goat and a dog and a cow and some more horses. And it was a lonely journey, even though you could talk to other people about all those good things. And that's over that time we started reading the Bible in English. And I want you to think a little bit about marriage. Rebecca and I have been so blessed in our marriage. We had deep trials already. But, but think about it. Like, I don't like to hear people say that, you know, I have the best wife. I don't think that's appropriate. But rather, think about how you husbands, God gave you the best woman for you. And you ladies, God gave you the best husband for your life. And it's the same way with children. God gives us children designed by him for our life, adopted or biological. Did you ever pray, you people that had biological children, did you ever pray to God to send you the right child? Probably not. Maybe you did. Good if you did. But you don't have to. So now we have children, and we have a dog, and we have cows. And sometimes I wonder, why weren't we more content when it was just Rebecca and I and our things? But it's because it wasn't complete. God, God's design is to have, for a husband and wife to have children. It's that way. We, we all agree about that. And, and the culture where we came from, it was a big deal to have children. And I think that culture has it right. Have children. It's biblical. When we started coming to Weavertown, we asked some of our friends, so are you going to be okay if our children aren't the same color as yours? And they all said, yes, they will be fine with that. And they blessed us to do foster adoption. So I appreciated, Alta, what you shared about needing an attitude change last night, and I needed one of those too. One question that often came to me in the beginning was, will I really be able to love another person's child as much as I would one that I gave birth to? Will I really be able to do this, and will I be able to do it well? Thankfully, the first child we fostered was exceptionally easy to bond with, and feeling love for him was not hard at all. But as time went on, I realized there's a broader aspect to this thing of bonding with a foster child. I read a quote that really spoke to me, and it was, sorrow expands your capacity for joy. And I realized, as I thought about that, that it meant I needed to embrace the pain of their story. I needed to embrace their ethnicity, their biological family, the world they lived in before they came to us. 
And as best I could, I needed to feel the pain of the brokenness of that world. And just thinking about that, changing my attitude about that, rather than thinking they need to blend into my world, really helped me to feel, it really helped us with that feeling of connection and love. Sorrow expands your capacity for joy. So I don't know if you can look, see this picture very well, but it's, um, it's when Nathan was in second grade and um, Josh Stolzfus, he was in second grade as well. They were good friends and they were working on the farm and they had lots of fun together. And they were, it's just a neat thing because one day in school, they dressed up alike and were twins. <laughs> Isn't that so cool? It's, yeah, just a good, 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 mem- good remembrance, yeah. And another thing that, that you people that have all the same colored children, you don't, you don't have the funny jokes that go on with, uh, with them teasing each other. Like one day it was, um, Michael was teasing Nathan that he's black. And um, Nathan was just serious and said, well, I'm black because my mother was black. And you're white because your mom drank some white paint. And I, never, I would have never thought of that. But little children, that's what they do, I guess. So if, if you think about children, we, we heard the, I think we all heard the quote already that the only thing we can take to heaven is our family. And I believe the children that we adopt in God's eyes in heaven, they're our, our children. So how long does it take to adopt a child, if you're curious? And with our four children that we adopted, it took right around nine months. Isn't that kind of neat? all the paperwork and all the working with the social workers and going through court and it takes about exactly nine months for all four of them. Most of you know our story and have walked with us in our journey as we fostered and then adopted four children and as we walk through the grief and the loss of giving Sage back to her grandmother, that was one of the hardest days I ever lived through. I loved her as my own. And why, how could it be that you would be asked to give your baby to someone else? The mental anguish of knowing how traumatized she was to be ripped away was almost more than I could mentally handle. But only as I put my focus on God could I keep going day by day. And today we have a good relationship with her grandmother, Peggy, and she thanks us over and over for what we do for her and Sage. And we often wonder, you know, how will it turn out? How, what's it gonna be like as she gets older? Will she bring influence into our home we don't want? Or will we be able to, to teach her godliness? We don't know, but we're glad to 
do what we can for her today. And this whole week she's coming with us to Bible school because that's really important to Grandma, Grandmother Peggy, that she's at our house and comes with us to Bible school. So that's a blessing. In our journey with, through foster care, in the five years average, we went to Philly once a week with visits, doctor appointments. So it's a lot of traveling. But it's okay. You get used to it. Philly is kind of, it's, um, yeah, we like going down there. It's not far at all. It's just a little over an hour. But uh, let's think a little bit about why adoption. And and there's so many nice uh, sayings out there, you know, that uh, you shouldn't get married for the wrong reason or or you shouldn't adopt children for because you want children. Uh, Just put those all on hold for right now and and think about, like, if God's design was for adoption, should we be saying those things? Like, think about all the children that need homes, and you want a family. Why not have a family? But I I don't want you to misunderstand me if you should still pray to God for all things. I understand that. But, But, like, if God says you need to be born again, we don't need to pray about being born again. It's we need to be born again. But, yeah, pray about your things and ask the Lord if it's right for you. So the years went on in a fairly smooth and normal way. Is that where it was supposed to be? So when we were first called to take Elena, we were told that she has spina bifida, and they didn't know if spina bifida has many different levels, just like people that are paralyzed, um, depending how high in the back the opening is, there's much more damage to the nerves and muscles beneath that. So we didn't know when we took her in, we didn't know if we would get to keep her. We didn't know if she would ever be able to walk or not. Some, some do. But we just felt led to say yes. I just remember thinking that if it were me, I would want someone kind to take care of me. And so that's how we moved forward and It has been a huge learning process, learning all the medical things, but it's been such a blessing. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So yeah, the years went by fairly smooth and normal until Michael was in eighth grade. We started noticing that he would wake up, I mean like just right away in the morning, he would just be angry and so defiant, and he would, there were just little things, it was hard to explain, like, 
avoiding eye contact, um, like just dragging things out um, rather than just anything to do what we wanted him to do a little different. Even um, he was more the passive aggressive type, so like just poking around was a huge issue. Um, but yeah, we many times, by the time he would go out for the bus, Paul and I would just be like, this boy needs help, but where do we go? And we had seen enough lying that we were afraid he would fabricate a story to get us into trouble with the law. Once he did tell his siblings that he had a plan to get daddy into jail. And yet, I'm sure probably none of you saw that at that time. He, was, he could flip the switch, coming, walking into church, walking out to the bus, whatever it was. So those were hard days, lonely days. We weren't sure what was wrong or what our next step should be. Uh, there were times when he would have a happy spell and he would talk. Uh, we soon learned to, um, to, to kind of pick up on that. And when he did have those, it was because he was being successful in doing something behind our back. So it was very sad. And probably the hardest thing was that he kind of ruled. He would have the other children on his side against us. And we were losing our children right before our eyes. And we, everything we were trying to stop the downward spiral was useless. And then at Weavertown School at eighth grade, the, um, I, I really think the teachers did their very best. But it, it seemed like everything they tried, it did not work. We're still learning about RAD, but it was a really lonely time for us. When uh, Michael went to faith then, it was a, he had a good time for about half a year maybe, the half a term, and then everything just went downhill. And Mr. Paul was exceptionally good with working with us. It came to a place where we kept his computer at home and then we could watch all his emails that he was sending out to his father and his mother down in Philly. It was over this time that we started calling boys camps. And um, he started working for Lester that summer. And just to get him off the property, he worked with Lester and we will never be able to thank Lester enough for that. He took care of him through the day and put him to work. And yeah. well, in some ways, he did do a little better that freshman year. <clears throat> he didn't avoid us quite as much. And Sometimes he would talk on the way to and from school. And <clears throat> you will remember too that he was baptized that spring. And we had so much hesitation about that. But he wanted to, and he did. He was doing better over that time. 
We asked for advice and the suggestion was to leave it between him and God. And that's where Paul and I felt peace. So we let him go through with that. <clears throat> I can't remember exactly, but it wasn't, I mean, if, I think it was only days afterward that we noticed things were really bad. And it seemed like having access to internet at school was just more than he could handle. We, we still didn't really know what actually is wrong. Um, we started researching. Sometimes Google is our best friend, you know. And we came across a podcast called Rad Talk with Tracy, <clears throat> where she would interview parents. And as we heard those parents share their stories, we were like, that's it. That's what we're experiencing. It's rad. And I also connected with one of my friends um, who had a rad son as well, um, Roseanne. She and her husband, Johnny, they were going through a very similar journey, although their son is much younger. And just finding, I'm mean, having them to talk to was so helpful. Um, yeah, there were times when you started doubting yourself, like, is, it, is something wrong with me? Like, may, am I not a real Christian? Surely if I would do everything, parent the Bible way, it would work. But um, as we found people that helped us work through that, it, that was very helpful and healing for us. Especially um, that spring, we went to a Journey Through Rad seminar where Diane Yoder and her daughter Anne talked. Um, some of you might know the Groffs that have the Burden Hand Bake Shop. Anne is um, engaged to their son Trevor now. Anyway, hearing their journey was so amazing. Her, she was, Anne was adopted as well. And she, I don't think I've ever heard another person with a rad experience as similar to Michael's as hers. She too, um, often it comes out younger and often it's raging and explosive and kind of that kind of anger that parents will see, but it wasn't for us. It was the passive aggressive type. And on the scale of anger, that's actually higher than raging. So that was kind of interesting when we learned that. Anyway, um, Anne and her mom, Diane, were so helpful in help listening to us and helping us understand what we're experiencing, that it's a real thing. It's not just us imagining it, because sometimes he almost felt that way, because he, had, he was so two-sided. Um, and they also really, really encouraged us to reach out for help. Um, they saw what it was doing to, to the other children and... Um, yeah, their encouragement was very helpful in that way. Uh, I was going to say this. Yeah. So what is RAD? What causes it? This is from Nancy Thomas's website. Reactive attachment disorder is a condition in which individuals have difficulty forming loving, lasting relationships. They often have a nearly complete lack of ability to be genuinely affectionate with others. They typically fail to develop a conscience and do not learn to trust. They do not allow people to be in control of them due to this trust issue. They can be surface compliant for weeks, and I think that's often what was happening at school. 
as long as there's no loving relationship involved, which like if you don't try to go deeper and at home we, you, relationships are deeper than at school, with strangers they are often extremely charming and appear loving. But if they cannot trust and love their own family who loves them, they cannot trust and love casual acquaintances. So with the, the rad part, it's, it's a very lonely journey because there's like, it's just like any other thing that you go through. Like if you lose a child, you walk through it yourself. If you lose a spouse, you're, it's a lonely journey even though people are out around you. You, you, you have to walk alone with God. And that, that's how our journey was. It was very, very lonely. And if, if you don't take care of Rad at a young age, in adults, it turns into narcissism. So when his sophomore year would have started, we did, we forgot to say that we had been calling camps by that time. Mm -hmm. We had already made arrangements for him to go to Allegheny Boys Camp in October. So we didn't send him to school. And we decided to pull our other children out of school for a week and go to Camp Attach in Florida. This, we learned about this camp from Diane Yoder and her daughter Anne. It was where they had received a lot of help. And we met some amazing people there um, especially the attachment therapist that was there working with the children. She saw through Michael like I have not ever seen anyone else be able to do. So that was so amazing. Um, we were there. Um, Nancy Thomas was the instructor. I don't know if ever, any of you have heard her name. She's a lot of people in the adoption world know her name because she's becoming more well-known. She took in many, many troubled children. She specialized in the worst children in the country and was usually able to help them find healing. She had some children who had killed a sibling and awful, awful things. Um, but at the camp, Nancy taught us how that when a newborn baby cries and the mother feeds it and soothes it, how that builds trust, and how that in fo most foster and adopted children, that has been broken. And what happens is they spend a lot of time in the back part of their brain, in the fight, flight, freeze. The survival part is very strong, but the, the front part, the, where we think logically, where we reason, is weak. And she, in her research, she found that you can do physical things to help your brain cross that midline and help those pathways become stronger. And when, when our children, um, when they, how do you say it? When they, when they are not in the right mood to learn or when they are just out of sorts and they are not listening, when they are being disrespectful, that's pretty much what it comes down to, to stop them and take time to, she calls it strong sitting where she has them do this and 
sit cross-legged and sit very still. And not until they sit completely still for 30 seconds are they allowed to get up and then get a hug from their mom and dad. And then we ask them what happened. And when they answer honestly, and they usually do know what happened, then we know that their brain has shifted into the thinking and the reasoning part. Anyway, they helped us learn how to do that. And it has been, it was, we learned so many helpful tools at camp. It was a very hard week, but so worth it. Um, we had hoped that Michael would have a breakthrough while he was there, but sadly he didn't. So when we came home, we realized that we need to do something when we came home to the Florida camp. And while we were at the Florida camp, he had told us that he's going to emancipate. And that is when, um, when a, um, a child younger than 18 years old goes to a judge and says that, I want to go back to my parents. And all we would have had to do is sign a paper and he would have been gone. It would have been totally free. He would have gone back to the city where he wanted to go. We had that choice, or we can send him to um, Yova, which is Youth of Vision Academy over in Jamaica, where they specialize in rad children. And it, um, it costs 3000 a month. It's quite expensive, but it is so worth it. It's, it was like the last-ditch effort that we had to... Save Michael. And I, I can't thank all of you enough that there's a lot of you that gave money to help with his tuition, and we just want to publicly thank you. Every other month, the uh, deacon, deacon fund pays for his tuition, and then, then we pay the 3000 so on, on November the 21st, uh, Wayne Algar, Mark Nisley, and myself drove Michael to the JFK airport. And um, Wayne and I flew Michael over to Jamaica and left him at the airport with a staff member from Yova, and we flew right back again. There was uh, no uh, goodbyes, because that's a thing of the past for him. It was. Um, he just yeah, didn't really care. Just... I said goodbye, Michael, and he just walked away. So it was, love was not there. It was, um, yep, I want to do what I want to do. But um, just last week, we were at Jamaica to, to um, visit Michael for the first time, and we were so blessed. We're going to show you a couple things that we did with Michael. When we came to Jamaica, he did not know we're coming. He walked in the room and he, he started crying. While we while we were at Jamaica, at the camp, we. Uh, So, 
a lot of the things they had us do there, the bonding activities actually seemed kind of silly and even felt kind of silly to do, but it, it, there was a purpose behind it. Here we were, um, we had a fashion show where we had newspaper and tape and we all dressed our children. We designed a costume for them and they paraded and showed it off. So th this costume here, Rebecca and I designed because we, we felt like Michael is now a lamb. He was a lion, but he's now a lamb. He's now doing really well and he's reading his Bible, and we, we think he's doing really well. In this picture here, we were allowed to paint face masks. There were cement face masks over their face because the parents are in control of their children. And most times, even in our church, you don't realize it, that us parents have a big um, influence on our, life, on, our, on our children. We, we kind of designed them, so that's what we were doing there. And there, uh, Michael's giving Daddy a back rub because he needs to learn how to serve and, and be helpful in the home. And there, it, that was the best part of our camp training, was snuggle time. Now, you, you might think this is really silly, but it is so real. Michael laying in your arms and just crying and crying because he's being held close and he's loved he knows it. While we're laying there holding him, we're telling him why we love him. It's just really good. Yes, the struggle time was one of our favorite things. And surprisingly, it seemed like it was for the children too. This was a group of parents that had gone over. There were about 10 and Nancy Thomas was there doing the parent training and kind of guiding us through it. And when we, when we, we did this at Camp Attach in October, and he went through all the motions, but there was no feeling behind it. But this time was different. Nancy was walking around, you know, making sure we're all doing okay, and she asked Michael, why does your mom have tears in her eyes? And he said, I don't know. She said, why don't you ask her? And so I told him, it's because you're my son, and I love you, and I feel the pain of your childhood. Mm -hmm. And he just started sobbing and turned toward me. It was just such a beautiful healing experience. It was like he cracked his heart open a little bit to let some of our love in. Mm -hmm. And to a rad child, that is terrifying to do. So he's doing some really hard work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then last week, on Friday, we had a call with him. Every week we have a video call with him for a half an hour on a Friday. And just on Friday, he told us that he never felt love like he did then at snuggle time. He said he felt something that he never felt before. And we were so proud of him that he's willing to to share what he feels. So every, every week Michael has a counseling session and he's really close to his counselor and, 
And even while we were there, we had a counseling session with his counselor and Nancy Thomas. And over that time, we had to snuggle him as well. And he left like three big secrets out that he was doing. While he was home, he, he knew, he didn't know that we knew, but his counselor was asking him, your parents know that you did something, Michael, and they love you so much that they want you to confess because they love you. So he, he confessed three big things that were huge for us. So he's, he's, he's growing, he's gone the right direction. So it, it's time we close now, but, but, but I want you to understand that, that if you look at adoption, it's not just a good idea. It is God's design. Where would Michael be if he wouldn't be in our family? And, and, and think about it, how God adopts us. If we are his child, we are adopted. It's when we're, if we're adopted by God, it's everlasting life. It's peace and joy. It's not pain like this earthly adoption thing is. But the heavenly adoption is so exciting. So if you want to pray for Michael and if you want to help us as a family, when, when he comes home, think about this. A rad child cannot handle a hug from anybody else except his parents. Because what we're trying to do is bond with him and be close to him. And we want you to pray for him, and you're allowed to shake his hand, have a fist bump, but please, no hugs for his good. Thank you so much for understanding. You're the best.